Please turn in your copy of God's Holy Word to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. This is our Psalm of the Month, and it is our practice here at the Dallas Reformed Presbyterian Church to go through a psalm on the first Lord's Day of the month, as the psalms are the uh, praise book of the church. And uh, the apostle has said that we must sing with the understanding also in 1 Corinthians 14, 15. And so what we do once a month is we take up a psalm sequentially that we may understand how to praise God well from it. And so with that then, we turn to Psalm 103. And uh, we consider this great and magnificent psalm that has been uh, close to the hearts of God's people through all ages. Psalm 103. Now please give your attention to the reading of God's holy word. These are the very words of God. A psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities. Who healeth all thy diseases. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction. Who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Amen. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray for the preaching. O holy God, what a blessed psalm this is. And... Uh, The minister freely admits, Father, that without the Spirit of the Lord, there'd be no way that the people of God would be uh, encouraged and exhorted to bless you for all of your many benefits that are uncountable. And so, Father, we pray through the preaching of the word that you would be glorified and you would give your servant the Spirit of the Lord, that the very Spirit that inspired this text would work in God's people now to cause them to bless the Lord for all your many benefits in Christ. 
And so, Father, we pray that Christ be magnified in this text, that we would see him, he would be high and lifted up, and we would bless you, O God, for the Son of Man. And so, Father, to that end, we pray that you would let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, beloved, it is the case. It is our sinful tendency that we have a sense about us to only look at the things that we lack in this world. We walk as pilgrims in this world, and instead of the manifold blessings that the Lord has freely showered upon us, we often look at that which we lack. This was manifest in the garden, wasn't it, first of all, when Eve obsessed on the one thing she did not have, rather than an entire paradise of good things the Lord had blessed her with. Child of God, how often is that the case for you? I just think on and meditate now on what your days are like. What are your thoughts like as you walk through this world? Are your thoughts consumed with what the Lord has blessed you with? Or are you more focused on the difficulties, the trials, and even the coveting? How much of your day, believer, is spent marveling that yours is Christ? How much of your day, believer, is spent marveling that the God of heaven is as a father to you and loves you? How much of your day, believer, is spent marveling that your sins are washed away as far as east is from the west, so far has God removed your sins from your person in Christ? How much of your day, believer, is spent marveling that you deserve none of that? And that you deserve hell, but you have received free mercy, completely unearned by you. And even if you think on these things, how much of your time, how much of your day is spent blessing God for it? It's not right, beloved, to walk in a way uh, that is unsuited to the psalm, to bless the Lord for all of his benefits. It denies, we deny practically the goodness of God. We walk as ingrates in this world so often. And the aim of the psalm is to exercise your soul to recall the Lord's blessings to you and then take the next step, which is to bless Him and praise Him for them. Not only do we rarely recall the Lord's blessings, which are really uncountable, as I said, But even when we do so, we do not take that next step, which is to praise him for them. And really, this is such a sweet duty, beloved, if we would do it, because it really does cheer the soul, doesn't it? To recall the Lord's blessings to you and then return his blessings back with blessings of praise. It sets your eyes to the Lord of heaven and how he has showered you with great blessings, unearned And most of all, it gives glory to God. Glory, does he not deserve it for richly giving us Christ? And so, to set the table for the preaching with that introduction, our theme is simply this, to consider our sweet duty to bless Christ for his blessings. And that's really, you can sum up the psalm that way, it's our duty to bless Christ for his blessings. And we'll consider that theme under three heads. First, Consider that this is a work of our whole soul. Second, we meditate on his benefits. And third, we consider a time to apply this psalm. So first, a work of our whole soul. 
Let me give you a few introductory thoughts uh, on the psalm. Uh, if you compiled, perhaps, if you took a survey of all of God's people throughout all the ages, and you asked, what are you, what's your favorite psalm? This one would certainly be up there, probably under or with Psalm 23. And it is such a great psalm, I freely admit, it is worthy, beloved, of a hundred sermons, and not a single one. Spurgeon says, there is too much in the psalm for a thousand pens to write, It is one of those all-comprehending scriptures, which is a Bible in itself, that it might alone almost suffice for the hymn book of the church. This one song. Well, the title gives you its author. Humanly speaking, it's a psalm of David. We don't know when he wrote it. We only know that he had, at this occasion, to remind his soul about God's manifold blessings. And we'll get to that a little later. But as these are not really the words of David, but really the words of the Spirit of the Lord, this is a timeless psalm. It is applicable to every saint in every age as it is inspired by the Spirit of the Lord. David said, the Spirit of the Lord spake by me and his word was in my tongue. 2 Samuel 23 verse 2. The Spirit has given it to you, beloved, so that you might sing it in every place and position in life. And so with that, The first verse says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And that, you will notice, is also bookended at the very end of the psalm, uh, where we read at the very last phrase is, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And so the exhortation of the psalm is to bless or praise the Lord, O my soul. Within those bookends, then, the marrow of the psalm is how? to stir our soul up, to bless him. And the imperative here is to bless his holy name. Bless his holy name. Not just bless the Lord, but bless his holy name. What's the name we find predominant? And actually, it's the only name, I believe, of the Lord in the psalm. It is Jehovah, Lord, all capital in your your, uh, English translation. That is the covenant name of God. That signifies what? I am that I am. He is eternal, immutable, self-existent, and omnipotent. But also, the name signifies he is our God. He is our covenant God. The name we, his people, know him by. It signifies what in the Bible? That he will be our God and we will be his people. And really, at the end of the day, you could just stop right there. That is blessing enough, beloved, to know God and know him as Jehovah and that he has taken us a people to himself in Jesus Christ. But more broadly, as you are probably aware, the name of God, uh, the way the Bible uses that phrase is to consider it a revelation of God, of who he is. Even Jehovah, right? The Lord. What does that reveal? I am that I am. Self-existent, isn't it? And in Exodus 34, 6 through 7, when his name is given to Moses, what does his name consist of? A list of his attributes, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, etc. The name of God is a revelation of God, who he is, beloved. And where is he most supremely revealed? In the word of God, Psalm 138, verse 2, For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. 
So over everything that reveals God to us, over everything else that reveals the name of God, it is the word of God that is supreme. And so if we are to bless the Lord today, we must know him out of the scriptures. And what you must remember then before we come into the benefits of the Lord is that the Lord is worthy of being blessed simply based on who he is. If he did not do one single thing for you, beloved, he is worthy of praise. He is worthy of blessing. He is worthy of it. And then, not only do do the uh, uh, attributes of God reveal who he is, and the ordinance of God reveal who he is, like we consider the word, but his works, and this is where we're going to get into the meat of the psalm, his works reveal who he is too. Why do we say that? Because if you think of it, his works flow out of his character, don't they? And so his works reveal who he is. In other words, God is never strong-armed into doing a thing. Everything he does is free from his own good pleasure. In other words, then, to look on creation or to survey the cross is to know something about God. Job 36.24 said, Remember that thou magnify his work which men behold. Because his work, you magnify it because it is a revelation of God. And the psalmist reminds you that God's name here is holy. Bless his holy name. He is pure. He dwells in pure, piercing light, unapproachable by the sinner. He is other. Even the holy angels shield their eyes from him. He is radiant in holiness, unapproachable to us sinners, except through Jesus Christ. And this is, you see here, holiness is not an attribute of God. It is, as Jonathan Edwards once said, it is the sum of all his attributes. And I love this phrase, which is why I'm quoting him. The outshining of all that God is, is holiness. And that's why it is his holy name. It's as though all the revelation of God says one thing. Holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. And so, when we pick up the psalm then, we are to pick it up and bless the Lord with reverence and a holy awe. Especially when you consider He is holy. He owes us nothing but wrath, but He has given us mercy in Jesus. We forget it, and we don't bless Him as we ought. There's a feature here I wanted to dwell on for a little bit. You find here the psalmist conducting an internal dialogue. He directs his own soul in this psalm. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Now, this is more common to see in maybe older devotional literature. And maybe it's gone out of style, but it is timeless because this comes out of the word of God. For instance, um, that is how, if you've ever picked up um, the poor man's morning and evening portions by Hawker, every, every meditation is, oh, my soul, something or another. This morning's devotion, I just looked at it this morning, was from Acts 19.2, which asks, have you received the Holy Ghost out of that text? And this is how Hawker writes. He writes, my soul, ponder over the solemn question again and again, and then see what answer thou canst give to a point so infinitely interesting and important. This is a lost manner of meditation, friends, of directing ourselves, of being a master over our souls. But it is very biblical. Psalm 42.5 asks, Why art thou cast down, 
O my soul. We are to bring our soul under the mastery of Jesus by directing it constantly in the way it ought to go. You can say things like this. Uh, oh, my soul, look on the holiness of your God and flee sin. You can say, oh, my soul, look on the love of Jesus dying to give you salvation. Beloved, you are to exhort your soul, especially when your soul is troubled, especially when you face temptation. Each day, couldn't you say in your meditations, oh, my soul, consider how evil and deceitful sin is. My soul, you think it pleasurable, but never forget it is fleeting. It is evil against your God, and it brings misery to follow. Well, David directs his soul here. He says, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. And what he is showing us is that even the best of us sinful men and women, even the best of us, even the man who is called the sweet psalmist of Israel, has times where our soul is not up to blessing the Lord. And what are you to do in those times? What will you do, child of God, when you say, are you going to be like so much of society today? If I don't feel it, then I won't do it. Or are you going to take control of your soul? Will you direct your soul? Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. In the morning when you're weary, when your eyes are already fixated on the world, you must say, O oh my soul, first, let us, let us praise the Lord for he is holy and he is worthy of it. Not half-heartedly, the psalm says, all that is within me. Does he not, beloved, deserve to be praised with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength? Yes. And so how does David instruct his soul to praise God in this way? In verse 2, O my soul, O my soul, forget not all his benefits. The reason our soul has to be exhorted in this way is because, beloved, we so readily forget especially in distress or in soul trouble or even after we sin. Worst of all, maybe because he says, forget not all his benefits, maybe we don't even know them in the first place. Maybe we've never even thought and said, oh my soul, what are the benefits of the Lord to me? Do you know all of his benefits, beloved? You are called to praise him for each and every one. I was thinking about this as I was meditating on the psalm this week. What a wonderful getaway it is for your soul to say, Oh, my soul, let, me, let us spend an hour with God to learn all of his benefits to us, recalling them one after another that we may praise the Lord from it. I, I, I believe within a few minutes, at least this is how it goes for me, within a few minutes your soul will be filled with fatness and you will be blessing God from the heart. But perhaps worse than forgetting then is knowing and not caring, which is ingratitude, beloved. What was, as I mentioned in our call to worship, what is the great sin in Romans chapter 1, verse 21? Neither were they thankful. To know the benefits of the Lord and not praise him and bless him and thank him is perhaps maybe even a greater evil. And so let's consider a meditation on his benefits that we would know them and not be ungrateful, but bless him. 
in our second heading, a meditation on his benefits. And this is where we will spend most of our remaining time. And as I've already alluded, uh, in the time remaining, I cannot even scratch, <laughs> I cannot even scratch the very beginnings of his benefits, much less consider all of the ones in our text. But my prayer is that your soul will receive much to bless the Lord from even in our survey here. And so what I'm going to do is I'm not going to go verse by verse because that would take far too long. Instead, I'm going to systematize and categorize the verses before us into five main categories for your meditation. And they are these. First is to bless the Lord for the benefits of his fatherhood. Second is to bless him for his benefits of mercy. Third is to bless him for the benefits of the Lord's satisfying of our soul. Fourth, to bless the Lord for the Lord's knowledge given to us. And fourth, uh, fifth, rather, the bless the Lord for the benefits of his dominion, especially exercised for us. That's not the order there in the text, but the order I'll preach them in conceptually. So the first uh, benefit we consider is the Lord's fatherhood in verse 13. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Holy Jehovah has a fatherly relationship to believers, to those that fear him. And perhaps this is the greatest blessing of all, which is why I begin with this one, and I think all the others flow out of it. You know, think about this, and boys and girls, I I pray and I trust you have good parents in this congregation. But uh, even by nature, children look to their fathers in their time of need, don't they? And unless the man is a scoundrel, they can depend on this relationship through thick and thin. Because fathers are called to have compassion and mercy on their children. And even when they chasten them, they do it out of love and not condemnation, or they ought to. And to think on the name of God, right, and you think of all his attributes and his holiness then, shows the soul what a great father we have if we are in Christ. And how can you have God as Father? John 1, 12 through 13 says, and you must take note of this, but as many as received him, speaking of Jesus, to them, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He is our Father by grace, not by nature. Adoption, when we are born again, Reborn into God's family brings us into this relationship where God is our Father. A whole sermon could be preached on that very easily. And what we see here, though, in our psalm is that as the children of God, if we have faith in Christ, what a marvelous thing to hear that He pities us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear Him. Pity, beloved. It arises out of the heart of God the Father for his elect. Why then? You think of this. And this is where we go terribly wrong in our understanding of the order of salvation. Why does he send Jesus to save sinners, the elect sinners? Because he pities us. He hates sin, beloved. Oh, how he hates sin. But oh, how he loves his children. He hates what sin has done to us. He pities us. He's like the parent who hates what drug abuse has done to their beloved child, but they pity the child and love them anyway. Though they hate what the drugs have done, they love their child and want to do whatever it takes 
to get them out of that sinful lifestyle. And that is what the Lord sees in us as sinners if we are His children. He hates what sin has done. And unlike us, there's so many times I wish I could do something about something that plagues my child, but I can't. But in difference, God can do something. And He did something. He sent His only begotten Son to be the propitiation for our sin. And He sends us Jesus for mercy. He pities us. And He sends Christ as our cure. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, is what He says. Who gives the elect to Christ? The Father out of pity and love. This is the pity of God for the elect. And the pity of the Lord is shown in Him understanding what we are with all of our weaknesses. Verses 14 through 16. For He knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. In the end, God knows we are very weak and transient creatures. And sometimes I think we don't, we don't know that about our God. That, that his pity extends to knowing our weaknesses, beloved. And that's why we, we thought about this in Hebrews chapter 4. Why the throne of grace and, uh, and mercy is freely opened to us by Christ. Because he does know what we are. And he has even been incarnated in the person of Jesus Christ to know this kind of weakness. And our folly is not recognizing our weakness ourselves. And our folly is also in not understanding and recognizing God knows our weakness. And there are two sides of that coin that arise from it. Either pride or despair. Pride because you think you are more than dust. But that is all you and I are. Or despair when you don't realize you are dust and you feel all of the weaknesses of the human condition. And you ask, why me? And can God know? But he says here, he pities us because he knoweth our frame and he remembers that we are as dust. You remember in the Bible, the, the Lord tells fathers not to exasperate their children. Not to know, to know how their limits are. And if he's going to tell that to earthly fathers, how much more he understands what we are. One of the best things you can tell your soul is this. Oh, my soul, my days are as grass and I am as dust. Will you praise the Lord, though, that he knows what you are and takes pity on you? Believer, you need to remember the Lord is perfectly merciful and he has perfect knowledge of all of your weaknesses. And from these two aspects of his being comes pity for you. Just as a good father accommodates to his child's weaknesses. And that's why the Lord has done the same for us. And that is why he has given us a redeemer. Even when you sin, that knowledge is meant to return you to him for forgiveness in repentance. Is that not why? Perhaps if you ask, you know, we're talking about perhaps one of the most memorable psalms of all. If you ask the people of God, what is the most memorable parable to you of all? It would probably be the parable of the prodigal son. Or perhaps better, the parable of the compassionate father. That when the prodigal returns, repentant and downcast, rather than being browbeaten by his father, his father does what? When he was yet a great way off. His father saw him and had compassion 
and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. This is the pity of God for his children. Even when he chastens you for sin, beloved, and you feel the chastening of the Lord, it is done in pity as a father, not in condemnation as a judge. Hebrews 12.7 says, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? To what end? That we might be partakers of his holiness. So you must say, Bless the Lord, O my soul. For as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him in Jesus. Second are the benefits of his mercies that show his pity. So the benefits of the Lord's mercies. And what a rich meditation this is for our soul if we would pay attention. Though we are ephemeral as the dust, verse 17 says, but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children. Though we are as dust, what is a wonderful consequence of the mercy of the Lord being everlasting to everlasting is that we are everlasting because of it, that his mercy to us is eternal. Everlasting in heaven, yes, and a promise even here to bless our children's children upon the earth to those that fear him. Verse 18, to such as keep his covenant and to those that remember his commandments to do them. That's not uh, the blessing of salvation through the commandment keeping, but rather the blessings come for keeping his commandments to those who obey out of the heart. Not to be saved by them, but to bless the Lord and to serve the Lord through them. There is great blessing in keeping the commandments of God. And he has given, even in the second commandment itself, a promise to be a a God to our children, to the thousandth generation, for those who love him and keep his commandments. And in verse 8, we find such mercy is sourced in the very character of God. We kind of go back to that idea. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous. Again, plenteous in mercy. Beloved, what you have to get straight is you don't have to twist the Lord's arm for him to give you mercy. He has mercy enough for every need. He is a fountain of mercy. He is inexhaustible, plenteous mercy. It is his very character. Last uh, Lord's Day, we were looking at the book of Micah briefly, and we saw that he delights in mercy. This is the nature of God. This is why we are called to bless his holy name, because it is his character. And what is the mercy that we need most of all as sinners? Atonement from a holy God. Because God is holy, we sinners are in a terrible place liable to the very wrath of God eternally. But because God pities us, he sends Jesus Christ to suffer for us. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. Listen to this. The just for the unjust. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened in the spirit. 1 Peter 3.18 Our Lord Jesus suffered the just for the unjust. What does Isaiah 53 say? For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. It is in light of that that we understand verses three to four. He, 
is the one who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. It is Jesus who has given us plenteous mercy. He has redeemed our life from an eternity, an eternity of hell, a terrible, never-ending torment. How? Because he who is just suffered on the cross for we who are unjust to show us God is plenteous in mercy and not just forgiving us by letting us go scot-free, but in the process, he says, not only do I forgive you, but I crown you with loving kindness and tender mercies. This past week, I ended up getting pulled over for speeding. Uh, I was not paying attention, and I was resigned to pay the ticket. I knew I was at fault, and I should have been more careful. I freely admit it. And I was incredibly thankful when the officer said, I will let you off with a warning. Go on your way. Heart was full of gratitude. I thanked the officer profusely. Because I knew I deserved. I deserved the ticket. And I was resigned to pay it. But sadly, I think, we are more grateful to not get a speeding ticket than to be saved from a lifetime of hellfire. And all through Christ's suffering. But, you know, unlike that police officer who just went on his way and he probably went home as near the end of the day, not only does the Lord not just let us off, but he, he does something which is far more than we deserve. He crowns us with his loving kindness and tender mercies, not coldly and judicially setting us free, but out of love and pity as a father. Psalm 107, which also proclaims the mercies of the Lord, ends this way. Whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. O my soul, be wise to the loving kindness and tender mercies of God to you. And bless the Lord, O my soul. Verses 9 through 12 adds, He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. What a wonderful, wonderful declaration of the mercies of God. He will not always chide us. When we repent of our sin, he closes the matter forever. He bears no ill will towards you, believer. He does not keep his anger forever. Why? Because his anger and fury against his children was poured upon Jesus instead. O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thy help. Hosea 13.9 We have all destroyed ourselves in going astray from God. We have destroyed ourselves through our love of sin. We have destroyed ourselves because of our hatred for, uh, not, uh, for God and not praising Him and blessing Him as we should. Yet for all this evil, all this evil, He, he helps us, friends. He gives us a Redeemer. He gives us Himself. And He returns our evil with His loving kindness in Christ. Oh, my soul, is this not worth blessing God for? And how great is his mercy? He says it's immeasurable as the heaven is high above the earth. Immeasurable. The third heaven, not just the sky, the third heaven. 
And he says, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. I want you to think on this. How far is that, boys and girls? How far is that? I want you to ask the question, especially if you know anything about cartography. Why does the Lord use east and west and not north and south? Because north and south have a definitive point, don't they? There is a distance between north and south. But there is no east pole and there is no west pole. Every point is east of another point and every point is west of another. And so the distance between east and west is immeasurable, infinite, unmeasurable. And so when I look on my person, what I am meant to meditate on is he has removed my sins infinitely far away from my person so that they are in no way associated with me anymore. Why? Because he made him who knew no sin to be sin for me. And as far as east is from the west, he has poured out all of his vengeance on the Lord Jesus Christ and he swallowed it all up on the cross so that those sins can no longer be counted in any way mine. My sins swallowed up by Jesus. And so we say to our soul, O my soul, see how far your sins are gone away from your person. As far as east is from west, as high as heaven is from earth, bless the Lord, O my soul. Then third, we have the benefits of the Lord's satisfying our soul. Verse 5, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. Now, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things is notoriously difficult in the Hebrew it's different, and different translations you will probably note have taken different approaches with it. In the Hebrew, it literally says this uh, He is the one who fills thy ornament with good. Thy ornament with good. I spent a very long time on this. And I found that the most satisfying interpreter was John Gill, who you might know as a Hebraist. And he immersed himself often in Jewish sources. Well, he found a medieval Jewish commentator, Aben Ezra, who said that to the Hebrew mind, the soul is the ornament and glory of the body. And so then we would have, with that interpretation, he satisfies thy soul with good, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. It fits the psalm's context very well. Satisfaction for a hungry soul, and the soul is called to bless the Lord for it. Uh, you can see Psalm 63, 5 similarly as, My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. What has he filled our souls with? He's filled our souls with the fatness of the gospel. It is called a feast. He has filled our soul with the Holy Spirit. He has filled our soul with the word of God. He has filled our soul with a zeal for the Lord and a love for God that the Holy Spirit sheds abroad in our heart. He has filled our soul with many graces if we would just go to him. He has filled our soul by regenerating it and rejuvenating it even day by day. Even as our outer man decays, he fills our soul by renewing our inner man. To what end? so that our youth may be renewed like the eagles. It's from this verse that maybe several think that David wrote this as an older man as he was aging. A requirement he puts on his soul to remember the blessings of the Lord. There's something perverse that happens to us as we age, friends, sometimes in the faith. I don't mean just physical age. I mean number of years in the faith. 
Sometimes, beloved, we forget the blessings of the Lord bit by bit by bit as time goes on. Whereas on the day we first believed, we remember being born again as such an experience of our soul filled with Christ that we feel renewed as though we have our youth, even if we were older when that happened, renewed like the eagles. That's what happens when the Lord fills our soul. And so day by day, friends, when you feel sluggish or the tank is dry or you are despondent, go to the Lord and ask him, O Lord, fill my soul with good through the means of grace, especially by meditating on the word of God in fervent prayer and in praise. In the end, a soul rejuvenated by being filled with Christ is the very best tonic of all. Proverbs 18.14 asks, The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear? There are times from experience when I was strong in body and I was malnourished in my soul and I was of no use to myself or to anyone. But there are times when I have asked the Lord to fill my soul with good and strength even though I am immensely tired. And what happens? My body follows straight along. As my soul is filled, my whole man is rejuvenated as the Lord fills my soul with fat things. If you are weary, never neglect to ask the Lord to not just give you physical stamina, but soul stamina to rejuvenate my soul. O God, I I hope you have an experience of this kind of thing, believer. Remember again on the day that you first believed, if you remember that, I understand children, maybe you don't remember the day you first believed, but on the day you first believed, all things became new, didn't they? All things were new and you saw the world in a whole new light and your soul was filled with fatness and you went away as the disciples did at the end of Luke's gospel, rejoicing over the hope of the glory of God. So say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not that he has filled your soul with fat things. Fourth, we are to bless the Lord for the benefits of the Lord's revelation to us. Verse 7, he made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. This is speaking of his revelation of himself, by which we know his holy name to bless, isn't it? Which is the word of God. What we don't appreciate, we really don't, I've been convicted of this, is how wondrous a blessing the word of God is. How spoiled we are today to have the the mind and heart of God so readily accessible to us. I have many Bibles at home. My children themselves have multiple Bibles. I have it on my phone. I have it on my computer as well. And you think about all the saints throughout the ages who would, would, uh, and I, I don't say this literally, who would kill to have what we have they would go to the synagogue and they would listen intently. Okay, I will, I will put this word in my heart because this is my God speaking. And I will hide his word in my heart because when I go home, I don't have a scroll. And I will keep the word of God near and dear to me. And now we have it everywhere. And we, keep it in the, we don't keep it in the one place it ought to be, which is our heart. All this proliferation of the word and our heart is not inclined towards it. Not like the psalmist who said, Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. You and I have the lively oracles of God, Acts 7.38, that testify to Jesus Christ, John 5.39. These scriptures, they make the simple wise. 
They give all glory to God. They show us the end from the beginning. They give us the way of life. They teach us the way to go. They minister grace to us. Truly they are the living word if we would receive them by faith. They give us comfort through their promises that come from God himself that no man has the right to doubt. To cling to the word and its promises brings our souls tremendous, immeasurable comfort. This past Thursday, the Queen of England celebrated 70 years on the throne. And at her coronation 70 years ago, the moderator of the Church of Scotland presented a Bible to her, you might know this, and said, Our gracious Queen, to keep your majesty ever mindful of the law and the gospel of God as the rule for the whole life and government of Christian princes, we present you with this book, the most valuable thing the world affords. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. And as the West denies that the most valuable thing the world affords is the Bible in these last 70 years, we're watching the West slide more into debauchery and destruction until the day it is revived by the word. But you, the child of God, you must say, O bless the Lord, O my soul, for I have the very oracles of God. And I have received, and I trust you have, by faith, received Jesus Christ the living word out of the written word. Fifth, bless the Lord for his dominion. Verse 19 says, The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. There is such blessing, beloved, to have God as Father, because he is king over all, and you are his children. For all of you who believe, the Lord exercises his power for your good. Romans 8.28 Jesus Christ is head over all things for the church in Ephesians 1.22. And that is why the very first answer in the Heidelberg Catechism says, He so preserves me that without the will of my Father in heaven not a hair can fall from my head, yea, that all things must work together for my salvation. Because God is king. And should we not bless the Lord that Christ's absolute sovereignty is exercised on our behalf? Yes, and so it is in verse 22. Bless the Lord in all places of his dominion. <laughs> and as, uh, as far as east is from west, he has removed our sins. But as far as east is from west is his dominion as well. Every square inch. So we say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not that he reigns over all for my good. Whatever the trial, whatever the news is out there in the world, beloved, O oh say, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, that Jesus Christ is on his throne for my sake and the church's sake. And the Lord executes righteousness and judgment from his throne, certainly in the life to come. But even in this life, it will happen as the gospel spreads. Verse 6, the Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. As the gospel goes forth, righteousness and judgment will prevail on the earth. At our fellowship dinner last Lord's Day, we remembered John Payton, didn't we? Uh, that the Lord used to convert, what, cannibals. And we saw that the gospel put away immorality and evil in those lands, that he didn't have to civilize them. The gospel did the work, and the gospel turned them from their evil. And so as the kingdom of God advances, as men's hearts change in their hearts, 
Swords are beaten into plowshares, and societies see righteousness and judgment advance. Well, with that then, let's lastly consider a time to apply this psalm. will be a more brief here. And let me just say, it is always time to apply this psalm. Always. In times when you are doing well spiritually, bless the Lord from it. But especially, perhaps, when you are downcast or struggling, pick up the psalm and sing. Renew your soul's sight of what the Lord has done for you, what love he has shown for you, and what graces he has bestowed upon you. God, my Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, my Savior. If we would just remember these two benefits, beloved, would you ever really walk in despair? Would we ever be so covetous, which is called what in the Bible? Idolatry. Some, some of you believers are facing loss today. Believers, in times such as that, resolve especially to forget not all the Lord's blessings to you, and your soul will be filled. Your youth will be renewed like that of the eagles. We do not, beloved, bless the Lord nearly enough for his blessings. That's ingratitude. That's ingratitude, and it is a great and grievous sin because we deserve nothing, and we, in ingratitude, acknowledge nothing, though we have gotten so much freely. And ingratitude does this other evil work in us. It doesn't draw us, our affections, to praise God. If you are cold towards God, I will say it is a sign that you are ungrateful. Make sure as well that your spiritual devotions daily include a meditation of his blessings to you. And make sure that after you meditate on his blessings to you, you praise and bless the Lord. Pick up these psalms. Pick up these psalms and praise him day by day. And when you come to public worship, come to bless the Lord. I mentioned this a while ago, but in our circles, we often subtly twist the means of grace around. You hear this all the time. You look at them with a selfish perspective foremost. And you say, I come to the means of grace to be fed by God. Yes, of course we do. But that is not where we begin. We use the means of grace to bless God. When you hear the word or you hear preaching of it, you are to bless the Lord for Jesus Christ in it. That when you hear it, you would say, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Exodus 15. Public worship, this is where we can go wrong in our circles, is not primarily about learning more about God. But it is to move you to praise God as Paul did after 11 chapters of Romans when he says, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. And he says, And for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. In the reformed world, our piety can purely remain the domain of the intellect. But if our intellect truly grasp the marvelous God we understand and study how you must praise him if your study is not leading to praise you and I must repent learn to meditate deeply drink deeply of the things you learn and tell your soul oh my soul how wondrous it is to know that this 
is my God. Oh, my soul, let us praise him for it. That is our obligation, and it is a sweet duty you must undertake in love. And how hard are our hearts if after seeing all the benefits of the Lord that he has given us freely in Christ, that we would refuse to bless him for them. And ministers have a duty to preach in a manner suited to that when they preach the word. One of the saddest things I ever heard was from an apostate man who left to Rome. And he said he left because his reformed church did not really worship. He said he was listening to a lecture every week, and that was his impression of reformed worship. It's a sad thing, friends, but the Heidelberg Catechism reminds us that it is the lively, lively preaching of the word that is used as a means of grace, not in a performance sense that I have to get up here and go around like so many ministers try today, but in a way that gives life to the hearer, that confronts them with the reality of God. That's how the word is preached. I only pray that that man is reclaimed through the gospel. Well, the final verses as we wrap up in verses 20 through 22, the psalmist calls on every creature in the universe to join him in praising Jehovah, even the angels. Now, David has no authority to do this, but this psalm has divine authority because ultimately the son of David, Jesus Christ, sings the psalm with us. What do you remember in Hebrews 2? He is our praise leader. I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church. I will sing praises unto thee. And we rejoice today because there's only one man who has ever blessed the Lord with every faculty of the soul, unceasingly so. And for us to be saved, we need a perfect record of blessing the Lord for praising our Creator and our God. And we just do not have it in ourselves, beloved. But Christ, when he took on flesh, did what this psalm requires of God's people. He undertook the duty of blessing the Lord with all his soul that we might be saved. This Jesus was never once sluggish in praising God. All the faculties of heart, mind, and soul perfectly engaged to the glory of God. And so we say, O my soul, bless the Lord for Christ's perfect righteousness imputed to us and received by faith. I am never lost because of it, because he saves to the uttermost all that come to him. And so if you have Christ, you have the greatest of all blessings. And tell your soul, never forget it. And if you have not taken Christ yourself, take him freely by faith and repentance. Then join us in blessing the Lord eternally. For everlasting to everlasting is his mercy to those in Christ. And we have such a great blessing in the beloved. Worthy of praising him. And we will do it gladly, cheerfully. Because in glory, all of our limitations when it comes to remembering the blessings of God will be removed. And we will find again that eternity is too short a time to return the blessings of the Lord in praise. That is what eternity is like. We praise God for it. Amen. Please rise for prayer if able. Oh, our Father and our God. Would you help us, Father? Bless you, O oh God. You are worthy. Would you move our soul? Would you excite our soul to not only remember and seek out all your blessings in the word of God, 
but that we would return each and every blessing we find, every promise of God that we have taken by faith, that we would return that in praise to you, Father. And how we would spend our days in praise if we would do this. So help us be a people who are not unthankful, but instead are thankful for your mercies. We bless you, Father, you are worthy of it. For we will praise our Lord Jesus Christ eternally, saying, Worthy is the Lamb to receive such honor and praise and glory. And so we ask, Father, that we not wait until then, but we begin in this life singing the eternal praises of our Savior. Would you help us do this, that you would be glorified and our soul be filled. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.